If you are a father, if you have children, would you please stand up? The rest of you need to get going. <laughs> I've asked one of the best fathers that I know and one of my best friends and one of my pastors to come and pray over you guys. Let's pray. Almighty Father, you are the true Father. Amen. What an example that you have given us. God, it's such a responsibility to raise children, to be, to be a father, to be a provider, to be a leader. God, you have given every single one of us that duty. And Lord, I just pray a special blessing over every father in this room. God, give them the wisdom, the courage, the strength, the endurance to be these fathers that they need to be, God. God, our world is ugly. It is ruthless. Lord, I just pray that we have the strength under you to stand up against this world in the name of Jesus and lead our children to the place that they need to be, God. God, it's time for us to rise up as fathers and be who we were created to be. Thank you for every single one in this room. God, the challenges that we face are more than we can handle. And that's why we need you. And Lord, it's just an opportunity an amazing opportunity to be here with all of these guys and to learn and to glean from one another. And Lord, I just pray that you would build up people around every single man in this room that is a father and beyond, but especially those fathers, that they're not in this alone, that they can hold hands and charge the hill and conquer. Lord, show up, show off, and do something radical in every life in this room, God. God, we love you. We give you praise in all things, and all of God's men said, amen. Appreciate you, brother. Thank you. Thank you. If you are, this will be the last one we do together today, but if you are a junior high, high school, or college student, would you please stand up? Amen. Gentlemen, you are not the next generation, you are the now generation. And the fact that you came this weekend is significant. Don't let the enemy tell you otherwise. This is massive. Allow God to continue to transform your heart and do immeasurably more than you could ever hope or imagine. For the rest of you gentlemen, would you please extend your hands to these boys and these young men. Caden, would you pray for them? God, we just thank you for what you've done this weekend, what you are doing right now and what we know you will continue to do as we leave. Mm -hmm. For the students in this room, knowing the trials, the temptations, and the difficulties that come from following Jesus in our society today, I lift these guys up, especially in this moment right now. 
getting the opportunity to lead these students, I hear the cries of their hearts often. And Lord, I pray for each one of these students right now that they would have a deep longing, a deep yearning and desire for you in their life, God, in every part of them. Fill their minds, their bodies, their souls, and their spirit. God, 1 Timothy 4.12 says, don't let anybody look down on you because you are young, but set the example in speech, life, love, faith, and purity. And so may these be the men or the guys that step up as men to lead our world, to lead the now generation in speech, life, love, faith, and purity. For the rest of the men in this room right now with hands raised, I pray that we would be able and willing to walk alongside these guys in life, in ministry, in leadership to demonstrate the love of Christ for them. God, above, God, above all else, we want to honor and glorify you in everything that we say and do. And so I pray that one day at a time, one step at a time, we would seek to put you and your will in our lives above our own desires. Jesus, we love you and we thank you for what you did on the cross, that we stand here celebrating with the freedom and hope of true faith that each of us has in our lives. God, we pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Gentlemen, as we finish our time together this weekend, I have one aim and one aim only. And that is to be a catalyst to help each and every one of us encounter Jesus where our lives are changed forever. That's it. In 1969, Apollo 11 was finishing their space mission. They were on their way back from orbit to Earth when something catastrophic happened. On the island of Guam was the communication station. And a guy named Charles Force was the engineer responsible for all communication with Apollo 11 their crew and their vessel. Without communication, it would have been deadly. As they were communicating with Apollo 11, the satellite, the radar used to communicate ceased. A bearing had broken and became lodged inside of this device, this massive monstrosity. It would have taken days to pull apart and to put back given the size and the scope of the satellite. Looking at the situation and evaluating a two and a half inch gap in the machine where they could access this large broken bearing, Charles did something bold and courageous. He called home and he talked to his 10-year-old son, Greg. And he asked Greg if he would jump in the car with his mother and make his way to the space station. Without question, without hesitation, Greg Force, the son of Charles Force, jumped in the vehicle with his mother, went to the space station. And when he got there, his dad had a vat of grease waiting for him. And Greg took his hands, his 10-year-old hands, 
and he covered them with grease, and he was barely able to, but got his arm into the gap, the two and a half inch gap where the broken bearing was, was able to grease the entire thing and got it working again. Here's a picture of what it looked like. Right there. That's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about stepping up together. Because what Charles needed to do, he couldn't do on his own, but he could do with the help of his son. And I know, I don't just believe, I know as a matter of fact, a concrete statement, that what God has called you and I to do as men, we cannot do on our own. We need one another. We are better together. Jesus, when he sends the disciples out to go and to heal in his name, and to teach and to meet the needs of the community, sends the disciples out in pairs. He does it for multiple reasons. They can pray for one another. They can encourage one another. They can hold one another accountable. And because they have offsetting gifts. Bartholomew had different gifts than Matthew. James had different gifts than Peter. The other thing I know about when we try to go it alone is that oftentimes separation as a byproduct of isolation always ends in devastation. When we isolate ourselves, isolation leads to separation and separation leads to devastation. We cannot allow the enemy to get a foothold. And so I wanna talk about the importance and the power of stepping up together. Stepping up together. In military terms, they call it battle buddies. In law enforcement, we say that we've got your six. As men of God, we are armor bearers. We are shield carriers. Grab your Bibles. You're going to need them. Turn to the New Testament book of Mark. It's the second book of the New Testament. In Mark chapter 2, Jesus, on his way to begin his public ministry, which is always threefold, it's always relational, it's always physical, and it's always spiritual. It's always relational, it's always physical, and it's always spiritual. Jesus is going to go with his disciples and he's going to enter a house and he's going to spend some time teaching there. And as he's teaching, some crazy things happen. Watch this. Excuse me, Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. So soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door. And while he was preaching God's word to them, four men, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. So they dug a hole through the roof above his head. 
Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. And seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. And so he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or, or stand up, or pick up your mat and walk? And so I'll prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and he said, stand up, pick up your mat and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. This man was paralyzed. We don't know some things. We don't know if it was paraplegic or quadriplegic. We don't know what caused the paralysis. We don't know how long he had been paralyzed. We don't need to. What culture and history teach us is that a paralyzed man was wholly dependent on the good graces of his family, his friends, and perfect strangers for alms. They were unable to care for the needs of the community as an able-bodied individual. And so they relied on the good graces of family, friends, and perfect strangers. Jesus enters the Capernaum area. Word is traveling about who he is, so much so that crowds have begun to amass First inside the house and then pouring outside the house. And now there's a large mob of individuals there to see Jesus. We don't know what compels this man's friends to bring this man to Jesus. I could speculate. In all things, I know that God is sovereign and in control, so I do have some concrete ideas of what was going on, but here's what I know. Jesus is there. This man has likely tried everything that humanity has to offer to fix his plight, to address his circumstances and deal with his situations, and when it hasn't worked, his friends, maybe out of desperation, maybe out of obligation but definitely taking advantage of an opportunity, they place their friend on a mat and collectively four of them, two at his feet and two at his head, will pick up this mat and perhaps for a matter of miles will walk to this home where Jesus is at. When they get there, rather than seeing all the obstacles in front of them, they see an opportunity to get creative. Pastors and ministry leaders, you need to hear this. Too often, we see all of the things in front of us as obstacles, and we need to reframe and start seeing things as opportunities. For the last five years, our church 
has done everything we can to bless and partner with Blair Schools. We have faced opposition at every turn. We wanted to go this last year and re-sawdust or bark dust every single playground and clean up every single school ground. And we were told no. We wanted to do an event that would touch over 5,000 people in our community. And the only space big enough at the time was the high school practice football field. And initially we were told yes, but then a school board member who is a known maybe practicing Satanist, went to the superintendent and said, if you allow that church to do this, then you have to let our satanic group meet here as well. So the superintendent, two days before this event that would see thousands of students come to receive free tennis shoes, free school supplies, and all kinds of other things at no cost to them. All the advertising had been done, all the brochures had been printed. In fact, we had had the superintendent's approval back in April, so we stuffed every backpack in the elementary school, the middle school, and the high school two days before the event told us, sorry, you can't do it here. And rather than seeing the obstacles, and pastors, make no mistake about it, were we angry? We might have been speaking in foreign tongues. I might have gone old school back to my roots and spoke some Ebonics. Yes, we were angry. I would tell you that it's a righteous indignation, but maybe we sinned a little in our anger. The gentleman that was just here praying for the fathers is the head of our outreach and operations at our church. And he and I had one of the most honest conversations we've ever had. And he had to get off the phone because he was so desperate to find solutions. And he called me back and he said, you know what? We're not going to see this as an obstacle. We're going to look at this as an opportunity. We found a location right across the street that ended up being a better location. And we flipped the script. And thousands of students were touched. So last week, one of the most powerful letters we've ever received as a church came in. We're sitting in a staff meeting every, every Monday I am so blessed to get to work with an amazing staff, and there's 20 of us on staff at our church, or 19 of us, and we were sitting together in our staff meeting where we celebrate the wins and talk through what God's doing and cast vision for the the week and look at what's coming up and do a devotion together. We pray for everyone of the prayer requests that come in, and we pray for each other. We hold each other accountable. Steve, the Buffalo Bills fan here. Is there, is there a game today? <laughs> he, uh, he said, I have a letter I want to read to you. And he pulled open this letter, and it was from every major figurehead in the Blair Community Schools. Principals, assistant principals, all of them. And the letter simply said, thank you, Steve Doolin and Reach Church, for your consistent and faithful leadership. You have done so many things without ever wanting credit. And I I could go into a lot of details to tell you what we've done. And in this letter, they simply said, he quoted a line from an an author that I'd never heard before. And he talked about the greatest leaders and the greatest influencers are those who do what they do for the good of others and not for their own glory. And he said, because of your faithful and consistent generosity, lives have been transformed. 
This came from a secular public school to our church thanking our leadership for not seeing all of the obstacles as anything other than opportunities. Gentlemen, it is time that we stop sitting on our laurels and complaining about what we can't do and we start doing the best we can with what we've got where we're at. The bride of Christ deserves it. Your congregation deserves it. Your community needs it. Be a little spiritually obstinate. Let me say that again. Be a little spiritually obstinate. Don't be a jerk. But don't back off. I'm going to love you anyway. I'm going to bless you anyway. Pastors, for those churches that want to partner with you, We had a, uh, a pastor here just yesterday. We have a, a grill. It's, it's, it's about a, we, I think we spent, I don't know, $25,000, $30,000 building this grill. It's massive. Steve, how big is it? 18 feet long by like six feet wide, nine feet wide, like I said. <laughs> I'm embellishing the other way. 18 feet long by nine feet wide, and we have got a griddle and grills and propane tanks and uh, Bluetooth speakers, and we've got generators, and we've got inflatables. It's literally, it's, we call it a, a, a party in a, in, a, in a box or a party in it. We still haven't come up with a really clever name. It's just a party. It's there. We give it to anybody at no cost to them with one caveat. Whatever you're using it for, you can't profit. You can't charge people for anything. And by the way, if you're going to serve people and you don't have the money for food, our church will pay for it. We met with a pastor yesterday who lives by you guys who said, hey man, this is what I'm doing and these are the outreach events we do. And Steve said, perfect. We'll drive the trailer to you and I'll bring people with us to help serve off of it and just bless your community. What does Reach Church get out of it? We don't get anything in terms of, of, of fun. It's going to cost us. It's going to cost us time, energy, resources. But the kingdom benefits. When you and I stop worrying about people leaving our church to go to another church, and that's what keeps us from partnering with them, amazing, miraculous, godly things are going to happen. Amazing things will happen. Okay. So now let me start talking about the message today. These four guys, instead of seeing an obstacle, see an opportunity. If you've ever been to Israel or the Middle East, you know that their infrastructure is very unique. The homes that they have. Uh, I've been to some really uh, archaic communities, and they would make these houses that had two tiers. The second level was really kind of a patio area that you could go out and relax early in the morning or in the evening with the cool breeze because it was so hot. And a lot of times they were made from hay, dung, and clay. These guys go up a ladder on the side of the roof. And they drag their paralyzed friend. Imagine what the paralyzed guy's thinking. We don't ever hear that he asked them to take him. I mean, just a mat. What are you going to do about it? I dare you to do something. They drag his happy yang all the way to this house. They get there, and, and instead of getting discouraged because they had no way to get to Jesus, they, they don't go back home. They actually climb up on top of a roof. Some of you need to get up on top of a roof. 
and they start digging. It doesn't say that they had shovels. It doesn't say that they carried a Swiss army knife. And so I imagine they're there with their hands. Maybe they take off their sandal, which is a hard leather, and they start chipping away at this roof. There's Jesus right in the middle of his monologue. I mean, he's preaching real good. And all of a sudden, dust starts to fall. And then chunks of dung or clay or hay start to fall. And then the skies open up. And as Jesus looks up in the crowd, you got four guys going, hey, hey. But it wasn't just a small opening. It had to be large enough to lower this man down. It doesn't say that they came prepared with ropes. And so maybe they even grabbed what they used as rope around. They would wrap at least two times, maybe three times around their outer garment to tie it off like a belt. I imagine maybe they took off their their rope. This is speculation. But you can't tell me I'm wrong. And maybe they tied it to all four corners and using their own garments, now they lower it down. Lower this man before Jesus. Look what happens. Verse 4. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. So they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Guys, pay really close attention right here to verse 5. Seeing their faith. Jesus said to their friend, my child, your sins are forgiven. It wasn't this paralyzed man's faith. It wasn't anything that he did to get to that space. It was his battle buddies. It was others who were willing to step with him to take him to a place that he couldn't go on his own. And it was their faith that saved and healed this man. Amen. Do you guys understand the significance of these men and their faith? Dare I say that had they not acted, they would have robbed this man of healing and salvation. And when we refuse to act on others' behalfs, what are we robbing them from? What are we robbing them from? Caden talked about it. He said, what is stopping you from stepping into somebody else's circumstances? From doing something about what it is they're dealing with. Are you worried about your reputation? Are you worried about your resources? Are you worried about... I don't, I don't, what, what is it? What is stopping you? Gentlemen, I submit to you one more time that I am standing before you on the heels of Bob and Shauna Anderson and Scott Reevely and Steve Zink. They did for me what I could never do for myself and took me to places that I didn't know I needed to be and I didn't want to go. You're here hearing these things as a byproduct of the faith of someone else in my life. Seeing their faith, Jesus healed this paralyzed man. <laughs> Religious leaders, these scribes, these guys are lawyers. They're the ones who are, you pay a lot of money to do paperwork. you see that? 
Who does that guy think he is? Are you serious? <laughs> Only God can forgive sins. Rather than celebrating this man's salvation, they become cynical. Dave and Amy Hackett, two of my best friends in the whole world. I wrestled with Dave. I played football with Dave. I did martial arts with Dave. And I got into trouble with Dave after I was adopted. I was 20 years old, and I called Dave and Amy. They, high school sweethearts, got married, then divorced, then remarried, now divorced. I called Dave and Amy, and I said, hey, I just want to let you guys know I'm, I'm working at a church. I'm a youth director. And Amy... Now, one of my best friends had a huge crush on her, but Dave dated her, and I'm glad he did. <laughs> Unanswered prayer, Garth Brooks. Whew. <laughs> Amy said, are you serious? I said, yeah, it's amazing. And she said, and I quote, Andy, we know who you really are. What is it about celebrating other people's victories? Like, not just, I mean, let's even start with the petty things. So what that they drive a better truck than you? It's not their fault you bought a Chevy. <laughs> Why do you care that they have a bigger house than you? Or that they make more money than you? Or that they have more influence than you. Or that they were more successful at whatever it was that they did. Seriously, why, why can't you just be happy for them? And why can't you appreciate what you have? Why can't you just be grateful for what God has given you? And be a good steward of what God has given you. And just maybe if you were a good steward and stop being cynical and start celebrating, God might even increase your fruit. Pastors, I speak on good authority 27 years I've been a pastor. I've been ordained for, what, 10 years? I went to school just like you, have a master's degree just like many of you, made a lot of mistakes just like many of you, went through whole seasons of jealousy just like many of you. And I will tell you that when I stopped trying to be better than the other pastors and churches, my ministry changed substantially. But that change started in my heart. When I could look on with genuine authenticity and say, praise God that your ministry is reaching the lost for Jesus, it may not look the way mine looks, it may not sound the way mine sounds, it may not do what mine does, and you know what? I used to get really upset. I used to take, man, I personalize everything. Anybody else an emotional baby in here like me? Because I am. I'm an emotional baby. I take everything personal. People leave our church. Three of my closest friends at our church left about a year and a half ago. You know what they told me? Yeah, uh, we need deeper teaching. We just need to be, we need to be challenged more. Yeah. You know what else I heard? You guys are too seeker sensitive. What? Yeah, we want to go to a missional church where, where, where they're just deep in the word. Deep in the word. Deep in the word. We just think you're too seeker sensitive. There's too many people getting saved at the church and you're just watering down the gospel for them. So they go to an 80-person church that 
uh, I don't need to speak disparagingly. I don't have to. I hope and pray to God that they're getting everything that they hoped and dreamed for. But let me ask you a question. When did Jesus ever say, like I've studied this text a lot. Show me where Jesus says, I want you to create a holy huddle and a membership club where you get a green jacket when you do so much to be a part of the church and we're just going to focus inwardly. We're just going to look at going deep and wide. Jesus, in fact, said, look, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. And Jesus said, and I quote verbatim, I came to seek and save the lost. So if my Savior is seeker sensitive, thank you. Yes, I'm seeker sensitive. The crazy thing is, we took two and a half years to go through the book of 1 Samuel, and then two and a half years to go through the book of Acts, word for word, expositionally, and we were too secret sensitive. What? That ate me up. Can you tell I'm still a little sensitive about it? <laughs> Stop judging me. Man, guys, I have just probably in the last year gotten to the place where not only am I okay with people leaving our church, but I'm grateful. I'm grateful that they can go somewhere else and hopefully find a place where they can not only fit, but flourish. And we're not for everybody. That's okay. There's, how many letters did the Apostle Paul write? Do you know? 13, you're right. So of the, of the epistles, the mission never changes. Love God. Love people, change the world. But each letter is unique. The church in Thessalonica was different than the church in Rome. The Rome church was different than Corinth. The Corinth church was different than Galatia. Galatia was different than Ephesus. Ephesus was different than Colossae. Same mission, different model. Pastor, my church isn't better than yours. It's just different. And your church isn't better than anybody else's. It's just different. My question is, are you doing the best you can with what you've got where you're at? Are you being a good steward of the ministry God's called you to? Okay, let me get off pastors for a minute. Let me get on the rest of you. When are you going to stop comparing yourself to everyone else and be grateful who, for who God has called and created you to be? It's easy to do. I mean, compare yourself to others. I did it last night watching dodgeball. I just saw him right there, Quadzilla over there. Yeah, you. You and your whole quad team. And Lord, I went and put on another pair of sweatpants so he didn't see my legs. <laughs> you know that you can do something besides legs, right? There's arm day, there's back day, there's chest day, there's shoulders, there's abs. I'm just saying. And for the record, my back and my biceps are bigger than yours. But good Lord, your legs are massive, dude. Yeah. Yeah, you punk. <laughs> I'm joking, but there was a time in my life where I genuinely had compared myself against him. Last night. I, I, I said a time in my life. I'm going to call you Amy. I have a woman in my church, her husband's here, who sits in the front row about right where you are. Her name's Amy Cothran, and she shouts at me when I preach, whoo, and talks back to me. Uh, Here's another example. Guys, yesterday I, I had a privilege to, to pray for a lot of pastors, and I asked my friend Steve, the one who prayed for, for dads, to come up and 
just share with, with, with us uh, his heart for, for reaching out. When I got done, I was walking away, and there was nine people talking to him. People wanted selfies with him. He got done like 30 minutes later. I said, you know those guys? He's like, no clue. Never seen it before in my life. I said, really? He goes, yeah, but I think I'm going to Russia. I said, I said what? He's like, yeah, I'm either going to Russia or they're going to kill me. I don't know. I said, sweet. I'm out. But I look at, I look at, I look at that and I'm like, man, I could easily go, gosh, why didn't you guys come talk to me? Or I could look at it and say, man, that dude is so incredibly talented. If you want to know anything about reaching the lost for Jesus or outreach in your community, I promise you there is not a better outreach mind in the world than Steve Doolin. Do you know what makes me a great leader? Is I recognize my deficits and I surround myself with people who are a whole lot better than me. I'm going to give you another one. One more and I'm done. I'm going to move on. I'm actually going to preach the message. The number of you guys that came up to me and mentioned how incredible my 20-year-old son's message was and asked, could you do that at 20? The answer is no. I barely do it at 45. And one guy said, watch out. He can, he's going to take your job. I can only hope. No, I'm serious. I can only hope that he will take over and lead ministry because he is so much better than me. He's been successful at whatever he's done. God's blessed him. He's achieved things at 20 years old that I'll never achieve throughout the course of my life. I'm not threatened by that. I want to give my life to making him and you better. Like if, if God allows me with the rest of my breath, the rest of my life, to only do one thing, it would be to make everybody else around me better. These guys, they show up and they lower their friend down. They get creative, they get clever, and they're consistent. They lower him down and Jesus says, your faith has saved your friend. These onlookers are cynical. Who is this man that says he can do that? Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you question this, verse 8, in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? And so I'm going to prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. Those of you who have encountered Jesus and your life has been changed forever, why are you still carrying around your mat? Why are you still walking around as though you're paralyzed. Ephesians says that you are called to put on your new nature, created to be like God, righteous and holy. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says you are a new creation, that the old is gone, that the new has come. Scripture teaches that those who are Christ, they're brand new. Why are you walking around used and abused and acting like you're still paralyzed? This man got up, picked up his mat, and ran out. Ran out on his old life. Too many of you want to be saved from your sin and self, but then you want to stand in the middle of your mess. 
deliver me from alcohol, but I'm going to hang out at the bar. What? Take away my morbid obesity, but I'm going to Old Country Buffet. Serious? Guys, it's time that you put your mat down and walk away. It doesn't mean that you were never paralyzed. It just means that you're not anymore. All of those things that I shared with you were the tip of the iceberg last night. Just because I'm a new creation doesn't mean those things didn't happen. Oh, by the way, I am qualified psychologically and medically diagnosed as post-traumatic stress disorder. I still deal with, I told you last night, rerun, frames through my mind. It may never go away. That's not who I am, that's who I was, but I'm a new creation in Christ. And so the Bible also says that we take every thought captive and make it wholly surrendered to the very word of God. And we start exchanging all those lies with the truth of God. And that happens when we understand who we are. And by the way, you want the answer to who you are? It starts with whose you are. You want to know who you are? It starts with whose you are. You allow the information about your DNA to be informed by whose you are. And let that change the trajectory of your life. Okay. I'm going I'm to finish up here, gentlemen. Uh, for those of you, I, I've wrestled with whether, I mean, this, this isn't a part of my identity. It's just something I do. But I am actually currently still a police officer. Recently, I had a call. There's a gentleman who had three felony warrants. One was for a violation of a protective order, a violent criminal. One was for possession of a stolen firearm. And one was for failure to appear. If you know anything about law enforcement, felony arrests are very different than your run-of-the-mill arrest. And I got the phone call. I was all by myself on duty. Comm center called in. Roger that. Started going through my due diligence, checking the database, running reports, all kinds of stuff. Identified where the individual was. It was one of those moments, the first time I ever had to unsaddle my assault rifle, load it. It's always loaded, but put one in the chamber and put it in my passenger seat. And I sat there, and when things started to pop off, I had to call for backup. In law enforcement, there's three codes, at least where I work. Code one, code two, code three. Code one is, hey, I need help. Come here when you can. Code two is, hey, I need you to get here. It's lights, no sirens. Code three is, come blaring lights, sirens, and anything else you've got. This was a code three kind of moment. I'll spare you all the details because it doesn't matter. But the bottom line is, in a matter of moments, I went from being by myself to having five other officers with me. And we were able to take down this criminal without incident. It was incredible. And then I got to minister to this man as I took him to the county jail. And this man, who was then extradited to another state to serve out other warrants, has since 
been released. He's on three years probation, felon, can't own a firearm or a bow. Found me two weeks ago at the police department. Came up and with emotion thanked me for how I handled him, how I treated him, and what I shared with him. I would have never been able to do that on my own. It was in a life or death situation that required me calling for backup. The reason that a lot of police officers don't call for backup is it's a pride thing. The number one cause of cop killings every year is domestic violence. And the reason that it happens is they go into what they see as an exigent circumstance and they think that they can do what needs to be done on their own. And the truth of it is the individual who's the assailant is almost never the one who kills the cop. It's the spouse that turns on the officer because you're taking away the only thing that she has, even as destructive as it is. And so we have a policy in place at our department that we don't go into any situation alone like that. We call for backup. Gentlemen, I only share that with you to say that that is how you and I must function as men of God. We need to stop going it alone, and there are seasons in your life where you need to call code three. Uh, the same man that just prayed, he has, uh, I'm not going to tell his story, but he's got an incredible story. He was struggling with something, and as he was struggling, he had an accountability partner that they would literally just text each other this one word, Jesus. And when his friend received that, he knew immediately, start praying and start stalking. Start praying for, for my friend and start stalking him until he answers the phone and can talk through what he's going through. I don't know what your code is, but I know that every one of you is created to go through life with somebody else. You need to step up with someone else. You need to have others. Oh, and by the way, gentlemen, those of you who are mature in your faith, you need to be there to step into someone else's circumstance with them. You need to be their battle buddy. You need to be their battle buddy. So three things that I'm going to leave you with and we're going to be done. We're going to be done. I'm going to get you guys out of here. Three things that I see that happened here. These men, these four friends of this paralyzed man, they recognized that there was a problem in someone else's life. It was obvious. He was paralyzed. He needed help. They recognized that there was something going on in this man's life. The second thing that they did was they realized that they could do something about it. They didn't go there with any guarantees, did they? But they realized that they could do something about it. And the third thing is they responded. They responded to that call. They responded to that man's need. They recognized that this man was in trouble. They realized that they could do something about it, and they responded. They responded. You need a battle buddy, and you who are in Christ need to be a battle buddy for someone else. And it requires being honest at a gut level and willing to invite someone into your situation, your circumstance, and your story.
I am not surprised even a little by the number of you who have come to me over the last two days and talked with me about your battle with pornography, your marriages, your children, your churches, and your stories. And I asked almost every one of you the same question. Who do you have in your corner? Who's walking with you, holding you accountable? And I'm not embellishing. If I talked to 10 of you, one of you had an answer. What are you doing? What are, what are you doing? I want to show you something. I didn't plan this, but I just want to give you a visual aid that I think will, will, will be really important to see. Quadzilla, come here. Oh, I'm serious. Hurry up, man. You got legs like, I saw you at dodgeball yesterday. Why are you taking so long now? You ran out there and like knocked back 17 balls, but now you're at the, that's because you're sore, aren't you? Yeah. Uh, what's your name? Jared. Jared, I'm Andrew. Nice to meet you. Uh, how many push-ups can you do by yourself? I don't know. I couldn't, couldn't tell you. Well, you're going to find out right okay. now, okay? So, so here, here's, what, here's what you're going to do. Jared, I want to give you the rules, okay? Here's the rules. I'm willing to bet that you're going to do 100 push-ups. No, for real. But here's how they have to be done, okay? I'm not doing this to show off. I just want you to understand what a proper push-up looks like because nobody in your generation seems to know. <laughs> so, shoulder width apart, straight like a board. Here, head up, all the way down, lock out here, and up. That's one, okay? You got it? That's one? Okay, here. That's two. That's all I've got. Okay. Let's see how many you've got. Shoulder width apart. You guys help count for me. Go ahead. One, two, three. Breathe. Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ninety more. Twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty. Eighty more. Two, three, twenty-four, twenty-five, twenty-six, twenty-seven, twenty-eight, twenty-nine. 30, let's go. 31, 32, 33, 34, 35, 36, 37, 38, 39, 40. You can, you can pause. 41, pause at the top. 41, 42, come on. 43, 44, 45. Pause for a second. 45, pause at the top. Do me a favor right there. Say, I need help. 45. We got 55 more to go. Let's go. 46, 47, 48, 49. 50, 51, 52, 53, 54, 55, 56, 57, 58, 59, 60. Hurry up. 61, 62, 63, 64, 65, 66, 67, 68. Hold on. My back hurts. No, get off your knees. 69, 70, 71, 72. No, okay, 72. Here we go. Let's go. All right, here we go. Let's go down. 73, 74, 75, 76, 77, 78, 79, 80, 19, 18, 17, 16, 15, 14, 13, 12, 11, 10, 9, 8, 7. Help me, man. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Hey. 
chest. How's that I chest pump? Yeah, I was about to say. It's a good pump. You're welcome. Okay, now we're going to do squats. I'm <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. You can go sit down. Hey, uh, oh crap. My biceps are on fire. It's a really silly example of a really powerful point. My buddy Jared did 45 push-ups on his own, but together we did 100 push-ups. At 45, he said, I need help. And I was right there to jump in and help pull the weight. Jesus says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Gentle and humble in spirit, take my yoke upon you. Jesus is your battle buddy and is willing to pull your weight for you, with you. But then Jesus says, in one of the most prolific prayers ever, Simon, Simon, Satan wishes to sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you, that you'll have strength and courage, and when you go through the battle, you'll turn back and strengthen others. Who's your battle buddy, and who are you battling for? You are called to step up, but nowhere are you called to step up by yourself. Stand with me. Josh. Gentlemen, it has been my privilege and my honor to be with you this weekend. Thank you for trusting me with the text and with your time. I count it a blessing to have been able to be here with you guys. I don't want you to leave here today without identifying three things. Number one, that you need somebody. Identify who that somebody could be and that you need to be somebody for somebody else. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this weekend, for this time that we've had to treasure with these men. And I pray that you would stir in us a longing and a desire to not only put our trust and faith in you, but to recognize that we need help. That is, we're called to step up and step out. We can't do it by ourselves. We need battle buddies. So Father, I pray, Lord, that you would do two things. One, that you would reveal to us who could be a battle buddy for us. Who could have our six? Who could step up with us and help us step out? And in the same way, Father, you could help us to know, impress upon our hearts, and lead us to who we can be a battle buddy for. As these men leave here today, go before us, clear the way, lead us in truth, in love, in grace, with joy, back to our families, back to our churches, back to our communities back to our friends, and back to our jobs. And I pray that January 21st, 2024, 
In the same way that the crowd that saw this paralyzed man get up and run out with his mat were astonished. They were amazed at what happened in this man's life. I pray that everyone who comes into contact with us today and from here on out would be astonished and amazed at the transformation because of what you've done in our lives. Be it so, Lord Jesus, I pray. Amen.